0: So the other day, I was going through some of my baby stuff, and I literally found four different breast pumps in my house. I realized that I have actually been breastfeeding and or pregnant for over six years. Yes, six years. Can you believe that? My third baby is turning one in a couple of weeks, so I'm getting all sentimental. And while I'm still nursing her a couple times a day, I realized, why am I still breastfeeding? She's almost one, but it's actually because of mom guilt. There is so much stigma around breastfeeding and breast milk, and so I love this conversation today with Dr. Stephanie Canali. Dr. Stephanie is a family medicine physician and professor and the founder of Lactation Lab, a company on a mission to help empower women with data to be their best selves and help their children thrive by taking the guessing out of breastfeeding and biohacking milk. This episode was recorded back at the end of 2020. And so at the time, I had an eight month old. And I decided after this episode, I was so curious. So I decided to try lactation lab. And the results were so eye opening for me. I learned so much about not only the composition of my breast milk and what I was feeding my child, but it also gave me insights into my own health and vitamins and things that I was deficient in. So, for example, I found out that I was vitamin. B12 deficient. And so because of that, I'm going through a lot of different health journeys of my own in order to figure out how to better optimize my own health because of this. So I highly recommend it. If you are a nursing mom, definitely check this out. Besides all the information I learned in this episode about breast milk from Dr. Stephanie, I found it so inspiring that she left an established medical practice to join a startup accelerator to pursue her passion in helping moms. So even if you aren't breastfeeding or don't really want to learn about breast milk, tune in anyway, because she talks all about her journey as a mom, launching her startup, and the challenges with fundraising. Enjoy. Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima-Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. All right. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today I'm bringing to you, I like to call her Dr. Stephanie because she is a physician, but she's also an entrepreneur and the founder of Lactation Lab. And I'm really excited to have her on the show today because she can shed some light on the breast milk side of things. But also it's amazing that you are starting a company and even looking for investors and you're in an accelerator and you're doing all these things that We think like, oh, maybe I would have done it in my 20s, but maybe not now, established with kids and all of that. And mind you, you are a physician too. And so I think it's great. So welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to chat with you.
0: So I wanted to start off by asking you, what is your biggest mom win of the week? And it could be you personally. It doesn't have to be about your kids, but like you as a person, what is your biggest win of the week?
1: I'm alive today talking to you.
0: I love how that stumps so many people. It's because we don't like switch on that. Like you do amazing things. I mean, I'm sure you actually have 10 wins
1: today that you didn't even think about. You're probably right. And I would probably say that to a friend, but when, you know, I just, the, the first thought that immediately popped in my head, is like, everyone's healthy. Everyone's alive. That's a win.
0: It's 2020 for sure. Exactly. So, okay. That's a win. I will take that, but I'm sure we'll uncover even more throughout the episode. Cause you're pretty awesome. So I wanted to start by giving the audience some context. Tell us a little bit about your family structure. So how many kids you have, ages, and just what the dynamic of your family is.
1: Yeah. So I have two kids, ages eight and 10. And I grew up in Montreal and moved here for residency. So the three of us, I'm married to, and my the three of us have Canadian citizenship, but my husband does not, even though he grew up in Toronto, he was born in the States. So I've been here for coming up on 15 years now, and I was working at I came here for residency, then never left. And are your kids currently distance learning at home or in school? I feel like those are now mutually exclusive, the idea of distance learning at home. Hmm. We have daily arguments in our home. Both of my kids are supposed to be distance learning from home. My son, though, is, is actually an expert now on Zoom backgrounds and like fibbing his way through being present in his class. I hope his teacher's listening and <laughs> I'm looking for a copy of this too. Another Stephanie, by the way. Yeah, I, I, it's amazing. So they've talked about he and his friends. I overheard them the other day talking about how to set yourself as a gift, like I what is it called? A gift. A gift. Name? Yes. And to make sure that you move and blink so the teacher thinks you're there as your background so that you can play video. Oh. Yeah, he's 10. He he got in trouble already for having the fake background of his put picture and the teacher figured that out. So great. Much wow. more Yeah, much more advanced than I am. For the record but yeah amazing how uh... so
0: on a positive note though maybe they'll be the future innovators of the world and they will create amazing new technological things because they had to live through 2020 maybe right I'm we're go saying with that, that. yeah we're gonna, gonna go with that yeah. we're, we're his education is going to good use doing that <laughs>
1: absolutely and then is your husband working at home or is he so he's working at home we're very lucky to have a converted garage so it technically a separate physical space, but he's also working full-time on lactation lab with me. And that company was started. Oh my gosh. So my, if if you don't mind me telling you a little bit. Yes.
0: I was going to say you, you were a doctor, or you still are a doctor. You're always a doctor, but give us a little bit about background about going through residency, all of this, becoming a doctor practicing, and
1: then now having a startup. Well, it's so funny because like growing up, I never, ever thought of any other career. I was like, if I go into medicine, then I will be independent. No one will tell me what to do. Oh, that's so funny saying that after 15 years of practicing at a large academic institution. And so, uh, so got married, had my son and pregnancy was fine and breastfeeding, ugh, ugh, hardest thing I've ever done. So when I say hardest thing I've ever done, when I was a resident, we didn't have work hour rules. We worked, there was no 80 hour maximum. You just worked until you worked. That's it. You know what I mean? So we would be on call 36 hours, 40 hours. And that was sort of easy and pregnancy fine. And by the time I had my kids, I personally had done over 300 deliveries. So I thought I knew what I was in for. And I didn't. So for me, it was, I really felt like I fell off a cliff here. You know, and my son, like very early on, I introduced formula. I struggled a lot with breastfeeding. But then when I had my daughter, who's now eight, I wanted to be the Instagram mom, not the one with the hair done all the time and in the pretend mermaid uniforms, but like the one who could breastfeed all the time, just whip out a boob and enjoy it and look happy and not even like be you know, flinching at the latch and think this is the best thing, you know, ever and love this bond. And also knowing that like, you know, breast milk is, there's so many benefits to breastfeeding. Right. So first off I tell people, I'm like, both of my kids had formula, otherwise they would have died. And second of all, people are surprised to find out how much I hated breastfeeding. And I started this company, but I was a mom in, in five minutes could produce two, six ounce bottles. We had the separate freezer. (gasps) Wow.
0: I amazing. That. that was kind of like me with my first, but then for some reason as it got I mean, I'm still breastfeeding 8 months in and I definitely don't pump that much anymore. I actually have a pump on my desk right here right now cuz I realize I'm like I need to pump. My boobs are getting harder. <laughs> but that's incredible. Um and anyway, people say fed is best. And yeah. to anyone out there, especially, you know, who might struggle with that, it's honestly, fed is best. So whether it's formula, breast milk, whether it's fully pumping or exclusively breastfed, whatever that is, as long as your baby's fed, you're doing a good job.
1: Well, my thing about that is like, there's no, you don't have an option there. You have to feed your child, right? So whatever you do, that is a win. We're here to just help moms like me. So I was producing a ton of milk. My daughter would have a start having a bowel movement every 10 to 12 days. So Ooh. by day seven, we weren't leaving the home. We had no idea what was going on. We could tell her ups- Her tummy was upset and so forth. And And then she was falling off the growth chart. So she's drinking a ton of milk, falling off the growth chart. And I'm sitting there like, I'm supposed to be doing this thing. That's easy, natural, quote unquote, enjoyable, lots of air quotes going on right now. And the reality is I really didn't like it. I knew it was, you know, a a good thing to try to do. So then I kind of went to exclusively pumping. And honestly, it was like, I was the failure. I clearly was doing something wrong. My body wasn't doing what it was supposed to do because she's you know, like fading away in front of my eyes. So that's, that really took me to a dark place. And then, you know, it was really frustrating because I'd go into work every day. I'd see, you know, 25, sometimes up to 30 patients a day. They'd come in, they'd say, Oh, I want to know this. I want to know that. Why am I tired? I, I had my thyroid check three months ago. I want it t- again. I want this. And And I, we could get data, we could get answers. And so why couldn't I figure out what was in or what was lacking or what the calories were in my milk? Why was it such a mystery? And that kind of got me down this path of like women's health issues and the lack of research in this area. And when I'm reading studies from 1967, for the record is older than me, (laughs) you know, like And I'm reading about like someone who studied breast milk and took a sample from three different women, pulled it together. And this is what they found. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, it just really got me, you know, feeling really frustrated. And at a point where it's like, I wanted information I didn't have. And that's really what set me on a mission to be like, you know what? I I just don't want any other mother to feel the way I did. So our kids kind of work in two different ways, right? Like a mom collects milk, sends it into our lab, and she learns how her diet affects her milk but also if it's not working, sometimes, you know, we've had moms tell us like, this is what I needed. You know, they needed to see proof that like, okay, their milk is let's say 12 kilocalories per ounce. The average formula is 20, you know, like something to help realize it's not intentional, but you're made to feel that way. You know, so we really want to take away the guessing try to alleviate mom guilt which i don't think we ever will do in this lifetime but if we can just you know sprinkle a little bit less mom guilt on those moms and if you if you do breastfeed a little bit great if you don't great we're here to support you whatever you want to do you know what i mean and it's it's more to this so we're trying to really expand with what we're doing at lactation lab and give women the answers in terms of diet nutrition and women's health that honestly we shouldn't have to go searching for.
0: And I'm curious, when you get all these results, obviously you're getting a ton of different data points and you get to see across the board, do you track things like their age or their all their different demographics in order to kind of see like, oh, maybe it's across the board that women over the age of say 35 considering that's the point where you're apparently a geriatric pregnant person because i was twice if you're over the age of 35 you're producing less x or like less iron or less calcium or whatever that is are you tracking that data because i'm curious at what are the common threads you're seeing amongst all of these samples that you're collecting in comparison to either age or in comparison to diet or comparison to just like the problems they're having. So say their kid isn't growing or something. Is there a common thing that their breast milk tends to be lacking?
1: Well, it's really common. I mean, I would say half Half the time it's the case with failure to thrive, which is like falling two percentiles on the growth chart. It's about 10 to 15% of breastfed babies. I'd say it's a 50, 50. Sometimes it's the milk that's really low in calories and, and sometimes it's not. And when it's not, it helps us figure out what else is going on with that kid. Is it an absorption issue? Is there chronic reflux? Is there like, is there something else going on with that kiddo? So it's helpful. And of course these are non-invasive tests, right? It's just the mom collects milk and sends it in. I'd say on average, what I find interesting is these moms go down and they say these moms, because I'm not one of them anymore. And I'm very happy about that's my win for today. I'm not breastfeeding anymore. The reality is, is like a lot of, a lot of breastfeeding moms, they know for a fact that what they eat affects their milk. So a lot of times they'll be like, oh, I had that. I don't know salad and it had this in it or whatever. And my kid's super gassy and fussy. So what I'm going to do is avoid that. And, you know, then they're told by their doctors, myself included, like, oh, it can take up to three weeks for some of these proteins to leave your system and so forth. So avoid dairy, avoid this, avoid this, avoid this. And there's no real feedback or information on what's going on. So we have seen a lot of low vitamin A and vitamin A. We don't talk about very much in this country because it's fortified in most dairy products. It's sort of assumed across the board that people consume an average amount of dairy. I think the average nursing model you know, thirty five and over, oftentimes is avoiding a little bit of dairy. So that's something that is that we can consider. And I'd say vitamin A, B twelve, vitamin C, iron, calcium are very common. And I think that the other the other point is that I think it's misleading to think that a prenatal vitamin, which I have yet to see one that is significantly different from others out there, that, that replenishes everything you need. So, you know, like B12, for example, like the average vitamin has like eight micrograms and I'm not sure that does anything for anybody, but (laughs) yeah. So it's, it's like, it's this idea that, okay, well, you know, especially first trimester, I mean, a lot of people have a lot of nausea, just don't feel good, super tired. So I'm not saying the average like myself, my patients, moms that I know. I mean, it's it's hard to eat super healthy every day. Then I think when you're nursing, I mean, for myself, I was hanging on by a thread. The last thing on my mind was, what was I eating?
0: Right. And even I'm curious because, like, apparently my body doesn't absorb iron very well. And so I was always iron deficient. And so I wouldn't have known that unless I had like blood tests, but like I could be transferring that into my breast milk or even though I would be eating a ton of iron and all of that. And so I would be interested to see if you've done any data or anything by doing like blood samples of the mom and testing the breast milk, or if you have any intention on doing that
1: to kind of broaden the study. Yeah, so in third trimester, if we do an iron panel in third trimester, which a lot of women become anemic through pregnancy in general, and that's measuring the hemoglobin, but we do iron panels in third trimester, that will correlate with what's in breast milk. And you're right, everybody has a limit to how much iron they can absorb. Iron can be very constipating when you take it, can cause a lot of upset stomach and so forth. Same thing with babies. Breastfed babies are supposed to be on iron supplements.
0: Right, and vitamin D too, and vitamin which, D, right? And I'm and terrible vitamin- about that. like putting the drops and stuff because I either have to put it on my like nipple or like if she gets a bottle, I'll like remember, but it's so hard to remember to do all those things. So I can't wait to see what, what my breast milk has. Cause I know what I pump a lot of times I'll see, like, it has like a thick layer of cream. So I, my babies have always been so fat. So I mean, Yes. And so I think like I don't give them skim milk. I apparently make heavy cream, but I'd be curious to see, you know, and my babies have tended to drink less ounces. So I'm always discouraged when, you know, the doctors are like, oh, the, your baby should be drinking like, you know, six to eight ounces right now at every feeding. And I'm like, she barely caps at five, but it's, I think it's because she's so full.
1: Well, I think that's just, it just goes to show we have nothing to really go by here. I mean, it still amazes me that in 2020, when you leave the hospital or home or whatever, when you have a baby, you're tracking the number of pee diapers, poo diapers, weight, And that's the only inclination when we do see really low iron in mom's milk, which is not always the case. It's not like it's universally low in every baby it's just more often times low than not, but we can supplement mom and get those levels up. When the levels are consistently low, we're kind of pushing for those babies to be screened for anemia at nine months and not a year. That's the little finger prick blood test they get at the doctor's office. And to just see like, is there something there that can be done to again, be a little more proactive with babies so that when you, when a baby is on solid food at that time, then really focusing on a lot of iron rich foods and so forth. But yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that can be done in terms of, and you know, what I find even more compelling now is like, there's a lot of research that's showing that it's pretty clear that nutrition in the first 1000 days of life. So pregnancy, breastfeeding and up until age two It's like the most critical time for lifelong health. So I hate having to talk to, you know, like um, I mentioned earlier to you, like we're, we're fundraising for our company and so forth. And it's like, I, I, I'm surprised that I, I feel like I have to convince people of this.
0: I feel like I've had, I mean, I'm on kid number three and I still didn't know that in the first thousand days, that's like the most important time. And I feel like I've already missed out on that on my other two kids, even though she's like two and a half. So I guess she's approaching that. But I'm like, did I totally mess up? So now I have this mom guilt again. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that's what we got to alleviate. So it's like, it's not about, you know, it's just about like, like, how can we, you know, for those who, I also think that it's like when, when people learn about how their diet affects their milk, right. And learn about what they can eat and so forth, it also gives moms back control. No more guessing about, do I really need all these supplements? Do I really need to increase my supply? I mean, I'm curious to see what your results are too, because it sounds to me like it's, you know, even if you technically like have a low volume, it may not matter. You know, it's not about volume only.
0: And I'm wondering because my daughter's now on solids and I'm, you know, producing less and she's taking less in, I'm just curious if like my you know, fat levels are the same, or if things have changed now that she's eight months old. Um, So that would be interesting. I like almost wish I could send in the sample from when she was like four months old.
1: It's crazy. Like it will change, but at at the same time, I think that, you know, like over 50% of moms, I mean, the the statistics are just like mind boggling, like 92% of moms report having issues with breastfeeding and over 50% stop because they think they're not producing enough or they don't feel as though they're they're providing the right nutrition for their child and there's nothing out there to help either prove disprove give information as to either support that or not support that or at least to give mom's guidance why do you
0: think i guess breastfeeding and all of this isn't more in hospitals isn't more um, in pediatrician offices i'm just curious because like I had my third kid and I felt like I got zero assistance. If I was a first time mom, they just handed me my baby and it was like, okay, go home. And it was like, how many peas and poops did you have? And it wasn't like anything else. And so a lactation consultant might come in if you're lucky during COVID times, they kind of shuttle, you in and out the hospital really fast. And so new moms don't get that support. Is lactation lab doing anything to help kind of increase awareness in physician offices and hospitals about breastfeeding, or you just focus primarily on building this data and giving
1: moms like the information? I mean, we're focusing on moms because moms get stuff done, and so in our Facebook community, we're just we're we're like we're around like seven thousand moms in our lactation lounge. We are just shy of thirty thousand followers on Instagram, and we're just trying to spread the word that, you know, we're here for you. We have telehealth services, so lactation consultants, doctors, registered dietitians, and so forth to help, but that you're not alone. And and I and I think the biggest message that I keep wanting to get out there is just because something is natural does not mean that it's innately easy to do and or enjoyable. And so I think a lot of moms don't talk about the fact there's a lot of us out there that didn't like it. Like I talk about mom guilt. You feel like a, you know, bad person, a bad human being. Like I did not like nursing. I didn't mind pumping, but I really did not like nursing. It hurt. It never didn't hurt. My kids did not have a tongue tie, did not have a lip tie. I don't know. Maybe I have the world's most sensitive nipples. I don't know, but I didn't enjoy it. And so, you know, that, that makes me feel like a really crappy mom.
0: But you're not because your kids survive. They're eight and 10. They're alive and healthy. And so I think it doesn't matter. is best. So I wanted to talk about the fact that you were a practicing doctor. What type of doctor were you again? Family medicine, sex, moms and babies. And I mean, doctors, you go through so many, so many hours, specialty, residency, schooling, all of this. And then you decide, you know, you're passionate about this. And now you're going to start a company and you're going to start raising money. And you have two kids already. Walk me through the thought process and what made you switch and are you balancing both right now? Are you focused primarily on one and talk a little bit about that journey from being an established doctor with a practice to now startup?
1: Yeah. I don't know if I can talk about that in a logical sense, cause I don't think it is logical. I question that pretty much on a daily basis. What am I doing? I had a full, like completely full practice closed panel, you know, over six years ago. And I questioned why w- was I just not happy enough with just, you know, my, obviously my breastfeeding time was over and why couldn't I just be happy with, you know, just being a doctor and not do this. And I question that often, <laughs> definitely on a daily basis. Now, since COVID I've been home with my kids cause I don't have anyone else to take care of them. So I've been working on this full time, you know, remotely and from home. Um, but every now and then this is going to sound really cheesy, but it's true is I get these emails from moms who tell me, thank God you're out there because I needed this because it did it up this, or I'm so glad I found you because of this. And like those messages, whoever you guys are out there, I mean, they have no idea how much that means to me, the feedback of like, this helped me continue, or this helped me do this. Or now I know to do this. And I can tell that there's more to just testing milk as to what we're giving moms you know, there is a little bit of certainty here. There's value. It's backed by science and whatever that may be is what keeps me going and what keeps me wanting to do more. And are you practicing anymore or you, have you left your practice? I'm in the process of of leaving my practice. Yeah. But just focusing on telehealth services. Right. Yeah
0: and how do you balance being then a practicing doctor founding this startup and focusing on that being a homeschool mom at the moment and all of that what does the behind the scenes look like um you said you were you don't have childcare help so what is
1: your typical day look like Well first of all this is why I have a fake zoom background as we're talking and this is why you probably can't see this but I have ton of tons of caffeinated beverages right by my side including the Starbucks double espresso shot which I highly recommend For us it's it's a little chaotic in the morning because my kids like to yell at each other to make sure they're each in their own classrooms We're lucky enough to have a number of devices and a little bit of space where they can spread out everyone my son has permanently made his home and his classroom in our couch. So we definitely realize post pandemic we'll need a new couch. Um, it's permanently indented now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, we just, you know, we just try our best. I think it's also understanding like this pandemic has been really hard on kids. My kids went from very, very active, you know, going to school and the best part of school is of course seeing their friends and they were both avid hockey players and traveling for hockey in Southern California, which again, questioned my sanity there too. But the reality is they went from like, you know, sports five, six days a week to nothing. And I think it's really taken its toll on them and you know, the interactions and zoom calls and it's just, it's, it's bizarre, but I think the reality is just trying to be a little bit of like, I I wouldn't say it's, it's just a blend some days it's definitely more of neglect and you're on your own. And if you're playing a video game in the background, I don't know, I'll probably get an email from your teacher later, later and figure that out, but I've just got to pray to God that you're doing what you're supposed to do. And part of it is just, you know, I think there's a bigger message that I want my kids to know. I, I grew up very low middle-class. I put myself through medical school. I've lived on my own since I was 17. I've had a job since I was 12. I want my kids to know that if you really believe in something and you really genuinely are, have good intentions of trying to help people, then you follow that mission. And, you know, that's what keeps me going. So the sleepless nights, this and that, I mean, I've come to conclusions where we just started fundraising. I'm like, if we don't fundraise, well, we're not going anywhere. We're just going to grow so much slower. That's okay. We have revenue, you know, like it's just telling myself those messages like people. It's just the message. I want my kids to know that if you feel really passionate about something, not trying is going to be 10 times worse than trying and failing. And I don't ever want them to regret that. And so I knew that if I didn't try this, I would regret it. And sometimes that happens on a daily basis, more often throughout the day. But I really think that, you know, I, I mean, it's crazy to think like we just finished the Techstars Accelerator program or 10 companies in the LA cohort. And I had this really disturbing realization that I was old enough to be the mother of a bunch of other founders and unbelievably shocking and disturbing but at the same time i was like you know if it's not now you know i mean when when is a good time
0: right there's never a good time to start something and i think that's a big takeaway that i want cuz a lot of my audience are moms who have young children so most people have a kid of 10 or younger and a lot of them have at least still a kid at home that is under the age of 5 and a lot of us have these roles that we play in life and you know we're not just a mom we're not just a business owner we're not just this but a lot of times we put a box around that role and say we can't do a startup we can't launch a new company we can't join an accelerator because those are just for 20 year old dudes in the tech world like they they have all the time in the world but we put constraints upon ourselves so i love seeing what you're doing because it's i think it's refreshing and it's inspirational for other moms to know you have kids at home. You have an established career, but yet you're passionate about this mission. And you're right. It's now or never. Just just do it and see what comes of it. I always say like you have to keep failing. You have to keep trying because then what's the point? Right.
1: Exactly. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I also think that, you know, I think there's this notion of time. And always thinking that, oh, well, there's not enough time to do that. When something's really important to you, you find the time. It works its way in. I've had some of my most productive days being at the office, seeing 30 patients. Don't ask me how, but I would show up an hour earlier, get a tons of stuff done, work through lunch. Like, it, it's, it's just a mindset. It's not an actual hourly you know what I mean? Like, like, I just feel like there's, there's so many other ways to, to do this. But the bottom line is I want my kids to grow up that if you feel very strongly about something, you try it. And what's the worst that happens. And so we play a lot of these things, like even when my kid, you know, my kids are a little older than yours. So when they're going through things like, Oh, their friend did this or, or this happened or whatever, you know, there's all these tragedies we try to play out like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? And for me, it's really important to go to have that exercise I do with myself, you know, because I think that if I were to look back and say, oh, you know, I never tried it. I had this idea, someone else is going to come in and do it. And, you know, and then I would feel like, yeah, what if, what if I don't want to have the what ifs I'd rather have next time I'll do this.
0: And I think it's good. Do your kids watch you in this process of building your business, pitching and things like that? Because one, I think it's a good like role model. Like We say that I think parents are the best to like model behavior. And so to see your kids working hard at this, they'll get that message versus trying to drill it in their heads. But also, I kind of think it's a good thing for them to see someone say no to their parents. Or like say, I know people who are pitching and who are fundraising. You get like a thousand no's before you get a yes. And to see that sort of resiliency and to see how you push through It's pretty inspirational, I think, for your own children to watch.
1: I think it's also just, you know, not everything is rainbows and unicorns. I mean, we had a very real, like just, just yesterday, we found out that someone stole a bunch of stuff out of our car. Oh no. Yeah. Apparently petty theft is going up around. I mean, not surprising, but just, it's just, it feels a little violating and they just stole a bunch of, you know, anyhow, like just to have those conversations with our kids, you know, like. Yeah, it really sucks. Today is a day that sucks, or in, in so it, it's kind of funny. So I do tell my kids. Maybe I tell them too much. Maybe that's a whole other episode we need to do. But uh, my daughter started her own company that she plays with her dolls. So she, when she was six, she decided to start her own company like mommy, and her company makes cups for milk for kids. And so she'll hear me and she'll say, "How was your day today? How many did you sell today?" And if I told her, "Oh, we sold like ten kids today," she'll be like. I sold, I sold eight or I sold 20 or I sold. And sometimes she'll be like, I sold 40,000. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> her business, she pivots all the time. So yeah. she's like the most brilliant person out there, but I hear her playing with her dolls and it's would be like, mommy's got work. Mommy's got a zoom call. Mommy's got to do her business. And like, it just, I love that. Like, I love the fact that, well, she's more successful than me. Let's just say that, but, um, with her sales numbers, but it's, it's just, it's nice to see that, you know, I, I think it's, it's just about being real. Like I had, you know, I had another, I had an experience a couple of weeks ago with my son that really, really, really hit home with me. Like my, my father passed away and, um, just about a month ago and he was really sick for a long time. And it was hard because I couldn't go back home to Canada to see him because the border shut down. But, with that being said, like it was like a couple days after my dad passed away, my son was trading some pet in some game and got really frustrated because he accidentally clicked accept and he meant to click decline. And he was just crying profusely. And I hate myself and like things I've never heard him say before. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is one of those times where if that had happened to me, I would have been punished, yelled at, hit, you know, n- you know anything and everything above. And I said, you know, this is a, this is an option. I'm doing things differently. And I remember just having this moment where I was like, you know, I make mistakes all the time. I had a call with so-and-so could I have said something different? Could I have like been a little more savvy with my financial model and my numbers? And you know, did I do my best? No. And I think it's that moment of like, you know, we're, we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. This is a pet in a video game that's replaceable. And it's like, just the idea of like we're we're constantly making mistakes. Like how many times have I been do, working on something and I click don't save and you're like oh gosh that study to do that. So I, I think it's a, that's just kind of the way that we're trying to trying to be in our house is that just kind of be real about life and especially now and especially about entrepreneurship. I mean for goodness sake, like yeah, it, it's hard.
0: So what do you think? Speaking of being hard and entrepreneurship being hard. What do you think has been the hardest things about right now during this kind of like pandemic and being say even a female or a mom or not of the typical accelerator demographic? What do you think the hardest part is right now about trying to raise money and build this company?
1: I think the the hardest part I have is trying to, I mean, my favorite things are the market isn't big enough which is women, by the way. And and during Techstars, I had a very interesting experience where um, you, know, you meet all these mentors, it's like 50 or 60 people in a couple of weeks, it's like speed dating. And our team consisted of like one woman and six men and men get this more than women. And so that what I find unbelievably frustrating is we're supposed to be in this culture of women supporting women, women helping women, women, you know, all these venture funds that say, well, we we're going to support, um, you know, female founders. It's still frustrating to realize, like I went from like one extreme medicine, which let's be real is like one of the most misogynistic paths to entrepreneurship. I mean, and here I am, it's, it's, it's really, really, really frustrating, but I do have, um, one of the tech stars mentors I met is a woman. She's an amazing woman. And she had a she had a really good quote that stayed with me. And she said, there should be a special place in hell for female founders that don't help other females. And I I, I thought about that. And I'm like, you know what? You're kind of right. Like there's something about women. We, we, we kind of, most of the time, sometimes help each other, lift each other up. But then this all goes back to like the mommy guilt, the mommy shaming.
0: So I had an interesting conversation about this and I want to maybe pick your brain about it. I was actually speaking to someone about the difference between a lot of times. So like I'll get pitches for the podcast and stuff. And sometimes you're not a good fit. So I have to say no, but deep down I feel this guilt. Like, I don't want to say no, she's an amazing mom. I don't want to shun a mom away, but it's not, it's just not the right time or the not right, like alignment with my audience or something like that. And so I was feeling this huge guilt. But then what was interesting was I called out a few of my friends who were doing podcasts and someone else had this like virtual summit and everyone on their roster were men. And I'm pretty good friends with these people. So I called them out and I said, nice, you don't have a single female founder on that. And you know what they said? We asked more than 50% of the people female and they all said no. And I found that to be extremely fascinating. And I'm like, I wanna do like a psychological study on this because it like reversed. So like when people ask me for things, I feel guilty. And so I say yes. But on the flip side, when a male was asking them to be on their free platform, it was like, come on my show, come do this. They all said no. And I don't know why. And so I'm wondering, like, if you had any thoughts about this? It's, I mean, not in your line of expertise, but I'm just curious because kind of same thing. It's like the females are not, I I don't know what it is. (laughs)
1: I think it's really interesting. And I think that there's something to that because I read a lot about like a lot of my LinkedIn posts and stuff. They'll say like, oh, the, the, the most important thing you could do today is say, no, your time is so valuable. You're this. And I think that there's like this constant, at least I'm just speaking personally. I mean, a constant internal competition going on. And I remember like getting this email a long time ago, it was uh, maybe two or three months ago. And someone said, Oh, I'm uh, one of my friends is a student, and would like to talk to you about your, and I remember reading the email and thinking like, are you kidding me? I don't have time to talk to a student. Like I'm barely keeping my, you know, I'm hanging on by a thread here. I don't have it like a, and then I thought about it about two weeks later. And I said that I'm not going to be that person. And so I think there's this, this culture that saying no, which I, I i mean, don't get me wrong. I think all of us should be able to have self-preservation and know the value of your time and know the value of yourself. But there's something that like you, you feel or people just... They get to a level where it's like I, I, my time is not worth this instead of you know i've always i have a different philosophy now i've always said there's no bad cup of coffee there's no bad conversation even if i end up talking to an investor who's like we have nothing to do in your sector or whatever you know what i mean i can learn something and so i you know now more than ever i mean i i'm grateful for the connections to other people even if it's via zoom And I think it's just a different mindset and the mindset of like, I'm too valuable for you. And I'm protecting my time because, you know, I think it's a little bit of that that's going on, which I, I can't say that I've never been guilty of, but I, I am now purposely trying to recognize that. And I think that if more of us as women said, Hey, you know what, there's other ways we can do this instead of maybe being on for an hour, I'll been in for five minutes. I don't know whatever it is, but right. there's something weird about but, that.
0: I mean, and also with the whole female founders, I've been seeing that all throughout, you know, the internet on Twitter and everything about like, isn't it ironic that there's so many female founded VCs and things like that, that are promoting, investing in female founders and yet they're not. And so- I was just curious at like, yeah, your experience through that, what is the pushback you're getting for anybody out there who is maybe looking to raise money? Anybody even looking to just get, you know, angel investors, whatever that
1: is, what is the biggest pushback for you? I think women, um, women who've never had kids and women who have never had an issue breastfeeding don't see this as a problem. Don't see this as, an issue. I mean, we went through, so I've, I've, I've done about like, besides the last couple of weeks, you know, maybe four or five phone calls. But before that I had pitched to three different people. And one was a group of like old white men and the guy in the group kept saying, well, we didn't have issues breastfeeding. We breastfed for eight months. And I literally wanted to choke the person because I was like, there's <laughs> breastfeeding. There's so not very well. There's no we in
0: pregnancy, but you know, I'll give my husband a lot of credit because he did have to take care of the other kids and he had to deal with me, but they don't have to experience the hormonal changes, the chafing nipples, the blood coming out, all of that craziness. Let's
1: just say perineal care. Like there's none of that going on. Yeah, I agree. So uh, the whole idea of we breastfeeding, I was like, whoa. And um, my husband happened to be there at that time. And he's like, I saw the look on your face that wasn't going very well. And then, you know, and then you kind of get to, well, like, like one of, like I've, I've heard before, like a woman like adopted a baby and is formula feeding. And they felt really crappy because I'm talking about like the benefits of breast milk. And I'm like, well, do you not, you know, and they feel bad and they're offended by my story and what we're doing. And so there's a lot of you know judgment. And I guarantee you, if I was a man that had started this company, I would be fully funded. I would have a team of 10 to 20 people. We would be probably opening up our second lab now. Like there's I'm convinced of it because I think that you know men innately see like, oh yeah, why don't we know this? When men get it, I feel so well supported. You have no idea but it's women. And like, I remember one we, we, so another group of um, female investors in the Bay area, like we were going through diligence with them. And then I get this email from like the, I don't know what you would refer to the person, like the, the coordinator or assistant. And it says, well, we're not convinced that diet affects breast milk. And so I sent, I scanned in about like 300 articles. So that like, I had to use like the hardcore scanner. Right. And I, I said, okay, well, like I'm not making this up. This is research for the last i don't know 30 years, whatever's public, you know, available. And then I had this moment where I was like, you know what? My response to them, I hope they're listening is to say, you know, there's such a shortage of breast milk for all of our premature infants in this, in the hospital, right? Preemies, there's a shortage of an, of human milk. If diet didn't affect milk, then why are we not importing it from Bangladesh? Why are we not importing breast milk from, you know, all of these poor countries in the world, saving lives of premature infants in this country. So I, you know, the argument doesn't make any sense, but it's the fact that I was questioned about it after the fact, it's the fact that speaking of like the entrepreneur stuff, I remember thinking before tech stars, and I, I'm very grateful for our managing director because she really helped me grow as a person too. But I remember thinking like, Oh, I'm waiting on this partnership. Oh, this can happen. Oh, this can happen. And then I had this moment where I went, I couldn't sleep. It was like three o'clock in the morning and I was like, screw it. I'm doing it right? Like I'm, and then the part that killed me, I was like, I'm a doctor. I know this space. I'm not just someone who said, Oh, I want to go start a business. So that's what really kind of, I had this mind shift where it was like, you know what? I'm not going to wait for other women to potentially see if they're interested in have the time to maybe help me screw it. I'm doing it myself. That was my, that. That's my mission. And, you know, and, and down the road, I'm just going to remind myself of how, crappy. I felt, and I don't want another female founder to feel like that. So like when, you know, I've had a couple of companies reach out to me. They're not even, don't even have a product on the market right now. And I'm like, yeah, we'll have a half an hour call. Absolutely. Like, you know, there's, there has to be, and I I think it's the whole mentality of like, you know, trying to give first, trying to believe, and it 2020 has really pushed this for me, but really trying to believe that like, there's good out there. And like, you know, you put out some good energy in the world and maybe it'll come back. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that mindset shift that you had there. A lot of us have mindset shifts too, when we become a mom. So I'm curious to kind of wrap it up is what is a mom's superpower that you gained when you became a mom that makes you better at business life, whatever that is. So something you might not have honed in or had a power before. And then once you became a mom, suddenly you have this power.
1: I'd say I gained one power and I lost something. The thing that I lost is the part of my brain that can remember people's names has died.
0: <laughs> well, we should all be named Stephanie, by the way. I, I mean, it just makes easier. it easier.
1: Stephanie, Jennifer, we're good. Yeah. So that part of my brain's dead. It's it's just not coming back. So it was, you know, mourning for that loss too was important. Then what I've gained is absolute multitasking. And my husband has this picture where I had, this is back, My my son was like, I forget it was my son, my daughter, one of my kids, I was feeding them with a bottle in one hand, had my phone on the shoulder on the other hand, and then answering my pager back when we had pagers and I had it all done at the same time. And I was like, this is the mommy moment for me. That was the moment where I was like, I got it. You know, it's, it's multitasking and it's amazing what women can do. I mean, jeez. I, I, I also noticed it with my, my son growing up, like when he was two or you know, like two or three, when he was old enough to understand like, okay, go put your, put away your toys put this, you know, do this or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, this kid can only do one thing at a time. And then I had this moment of like, my husband can only do one thing at a time. Like maybe this is a boy thing. I don't know. But my daughter innately, I'll be like, I just look at her and she gets it. You know, I give her a look and she'll be like, I need to go clean up my toys now or whatever. But my son would be like, go clean this up, come back, go do like." So I think it's, I think women, I mean, we're like superheroes when it comes to like multitasking.
0: Well, don't they say that if there's a problem, just put a mom on it or like, there's nothing like a mom on a mission or something. I forgot what that phrase is, but.
1: It was uh, someone, it was a celebrity. It was Gwyneth Paltrow who said like, I, I love hiring moms because they get shit done.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And then, my last question is What is your number one survival tip for either working moms or mom entrepreneurs right now?
1: Be kind to yourself because I don't know anybody out there that has everything together. And if they look like they do, they have a team of people helping them. So I think it's just being kind. Like if your kid's getting McDonald's drive through for lunch every day, whatever, it's okay. This is not a normal time. These are not normal circumstances. And I think we just all have to be nice to ourselves first. That was beautiful. Where can we all find you? So our website's lactationlab.com. We also sell our kits on Amazon. And now we just have um, uh, our kits are FSA, HSA eligible. So you can use FSA, HSA cards. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that juicy information. And I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.